And in fact, what's funny is that once I got into mortgages and I started getting educated about mortgages, it's only once I got to mortgages that I realized that I was in sales, which was, right. which was weird. I didn't know I was in sales until literally like- Even when you had the other business? Even when I had the other business. I didn't right. know I was in sales because to me, I never had that sort of, you know, I guess used car salesman approach. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to the ILMB Rookie Podcast. Every Friday, I talk to a rookie who's making waves in the mortgage industry to find out how they're succeeding in today's ultra-competitive market. Today on the show, I have Cleveland Harris. He's been a broker since January 2020, based out of Whitby, Ontario. In 2020, he did $6 million in his first year in mortgages. Last year, he did $21 million in mortgages. And so far this year, he's already funded $8 million, so that's not even in two months. So he's doing fantastic. And a couple things from a conversation with Cleveland. First, he talks about how he lost a file because he wasn't prompt on communication. And we go through a little sequence where he shares what he would do different. He talks about how creating a customer journey has allowed him to scale his business. But that's created a new problem because as he's continuing to scale is that he's like, how do I go from being a one-man band to when do I hire? What does that look like? And so at the end of this session with Cleveland, I talked to him about kind of the things I think about when I'm coaching clients on deciding on should you hire now or not. I think you're going to enjoy that. Before we jump into this episode, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. So Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform. Very easy for borrowers to use, very intuitive. It's got smart docs built in, which means that as the client's filling out the app, it knows what documents to ask for. Once that application comes in, you can review it and then you can go into Lender Spotlight, which has all the lender rates and guidelines that you can search and figure out where's the right fit so you don't waste time on that. And then when you go to hit the submit button, it actually pulls up the guidelines for that particular lender to let you double check them and it takes the submission notes it builds it from the application so the whole purpose of this is just to save you time make your process go quicker and get your loans approved check them out at finmo.ca and check out this conversation I have with Cleveland hey Cleveland welcome to the show hey how's it going Scott thanks for so having me tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from I started out in finance about 16 years ago you know I started at the bank then went to a discount brokerage and investments. And from there, left and started my own consulting company, business financing company. Did that for about five years. Didn't go that well, but took the skills and experience I took from that and transferred it over to mortgages about two years ago. So about two years and a month or two in now. So two years ago, you jump into the mortgage business. What made you pivot from the consulting company? So it was helping business owners with financing, but not mortgage related. How did you go from that into mortgages? Well, I honestly found it to be quite challenging. I committed to five years personally because I didn't want to be this fly-by night or give up too soon. I really said, let me give this thing a fair shot. And although I learned a lot, I couldn't get it off the ground. I actually, you know, lost quite a bit, you know, in that experience personally, not business-wise. You know, I've gained some respect and some peers and a network, but financially it didn't pan out. And so it's been suggested that I take mortgages into consideration. And I looked at it for a bit and decided to take the license in 2019. You know, two years later, here I am. The main reason that I switched to mortgages and not something else is because my previous business was in the capacity of brokering. So I was still pairing lenders with clients and I just found it to be a natural fit because I did do some research and I liked the idea and the day in the life of a consultant or a broker. It's a good fit for me. Being a mortgage broker is a lot like being a consultant. I mean, a high tech sales job, if you will, not really high tech, but like products are technical. And so, yeah, lots of business owners need mortgage brokers for sure. 
So when you jumped into this, did you go full-time? Did you go part-time? What was that like? I went full-time. Yeah. So, you know, I went from one business to another and, you know, I was on the fence whether I should go back to the office, but it's just, I made that decision and I haven't looked back. I need to stick with kind of having a bit more control over my schedule, growing a business. That's where my passion lies and that's why I'm here. So just FYI, like you said, you lost some money in that business. I've come up with so many creative ways to lose money. My wife sometimes is like, what are you? But all of it is just learning for the next thing, right? It's kind of like, I remember I lost like almost 70 grand on one idea. This was many years ago. And I told my friend, I got my MBA in business. He was in his seventies. Let me tell you how I lost a million dollars. And I was like, what? And so I'm like, okay, he's like, you don't have your MBA yet. And this is a very accomplished entrepreneur, right? So it's all part of it, man. As long as you you gotta have the right mindset. And I think about failure is just feedback. It's like, okay, or imagine if your life was just a science experiment and you have a hypothesis, you assume I'm gonna try this business experiment, doesn't work out, you get feedback and you learn from it. But too often we get emotionally attached to the outcome and that's where the problem is. Now we're like, we're not a science experiment anymore that we can objectively review and learn from. So before I jump into your next question, actually, this made me thinking, what was your biggest lesson that you got from that whole situation with this, you know, business financing that you were doing this other consulting business? What I learned from business financing mainly was how to read financial statements. Okay. So that was the positive that I got from it. So I have a pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with it, even though I have no accounting background, that was the main document that I had to read and understand and come to learn. But the lesson though, was just for me having systems and tools at work, I needed to have more resources at my disposal that were more dynamic than like say an Excel spreadsheet, for example. The other big lesson that I had was how important cash flow is because I had a lot of pending invoices that actually went bust. The deal's closed or you think it's going to close and it hasn't hit your bank account yet. So it's actually not a done deal. Right. And I remember putting in months of work, two months, three months, six months of work for it to all go belly up at the end. And, you know, to realize that, yeah, it might look good on paper, but until the fat lady sings or it hits your account. Until the money's in your bank account, it's not it's worth anything. not. And so I come into the mortgage business the same way. Until it hits the account, the deal's not complete. Right. So Yeah, yeah. That's a good lesson. Okay. So was there any point that when you jumped into mortgages that you were like, was this the right call? Because you kind of left one thing to this. Was there any point that you felt like, what did I get myself into? Not really, because one of the, the contrasts that I see between what I was doing before and now is regulation and licensing. You don't need a license to do equipment financing. You don't need a license to do, you know, factoring and, you know, these cash advance programs that I was helping small business owners with. And as a result, what I found is there's not very much support. When I got into the mortgage business, I realized that there were so many tools and resources that I didn't have access to in my previous business that I know that if I had, I'd be able to progress. And so I think that part of my success is coming from the fact that I have tools and resources and I'm using them. Right, right. I mean, factoring and stuff. Somebody doesn't know what factoring is, explain to them. Because this is a kind of a rookie mortgage broker podcast. So when I first heard of it, I'm like, what? That's crazy. But maybe like dumb it down for me. Tell me what you mean by factoring. Okay. So like, for example, not most companies, but companies that sell widgets or manufacturing companies were a lot of the companies that I was working for were like manufacturing companies out in Brampton and Mississauga and they sell products and they sell it on credit, right? So they give their customers, which were B2B customers or business to business customers credit. They'll give them 30, 60 or 90 days, 15 days, whatever it is to pay them for the products sold. And, you know, again, cash flow is important. So if you've sold a product and you've put money into the cost of goods for that product, you're still out that cash until the money comes in. That in-between time 
where the product is sold and the cash is not in is it results in accounts receivables. You're waiting for that money to come in. Right. Now, as that accounts receivable grows, it starts to put a strain on the business. It's like, it's like the business isn't getting oxygen back to the whole cash flow thing. The business is like, oh, I can't invest right. in more cost of goods to create more inventory or whatever. You got it. So a factoring facility is sort of like a line of credit. You go to a lender and the lender says, okay, I see that you've sold these products and I want to see how your process is from A to Z, from you know purchasing of your goods to selling of the product. Okay, I see that you've been able to collect on an average of 30 days. You know what we'll do? We'll advance you these monies. When the money comes in, I want it to hit our account. The lender wants the money to go to their account. They'll take the fee out and pay the difference to the business owner. So it's sort of like a line of credit on your accounts receivables. The accounts receivables acts as the asset or the collateral for the it's kind of like the rental property if you will instead of a rental property that you look at the cash flow on it's looking at the cash flow from the receivables and the underlying business and then we'll lend money on that and then you as the person put it together you get a fee from that right so you presumably and you get a recurring fee i mean it sounds great on paper this is why it sounds amazing you build enough of these up dude you can sit back with your feet up and you'd be just you know sitting in hawaii sipping a mojito but the challenge in any business it's like getting people to follow through and then they may set them up but the business owner doesn't want to use it if they don't have to because it's a cost it's helpful but they people would rather not use it if they don't have to right right okay interesting all right so just people understand how the factoring thing works all right so let's talk about go back to mortgages for a sec so can you share a file that when you first started out that you lost but now looking back you go oh dang if i were to do that file again i know how i'd handle it because there's always files that we lose and there's always lessons and i love for other people to hopefully not make the same, especially new people not make the same mistake. Yeah, I mean, I still consider myself relatively new, right? I'm learning still. But one of the things that I've learned, so I lost the file because I wasn't being prompt on my communication. You know, it's easy to pick up the phone when you have good news. It's a lot harder to pick up the phone when you have bad news, like a decline or something that you thought would work and it doesn't. So, you know, for me, in my mind, I kind of just wish the problem would go away or just give me another hour or two or maybe a day. And I was really not prompt. So I believe that file, I lost the file because the customer ended up going elsewhere. The communication wasn't as good as it could have been. And they didn't like that. And so now what I do, whether I have good news or bad news, and it's not necessarily bad news, it's just you want to give the client enough time to plan and to adjust and to pivot. And, you know, by holding out for an hour could be the difference between a deal getting funded or not, especially when you're coming down to crunch time and we're running out of time because we're close to closing and it's purpose and all this stuff. So I believe I lost that file because of my lack of being prompt. And the customer communicated that. that Listen, I don't know why I called you. I didn't know where you were. And I didn't like that. So, okay, let's rewind the clock. So, you know, step into the DeLorean, go back to how would that conversation look like with the client now? So let's say that file came into your desk today. Pretend I'm the client. What would you say to me? Because people listening, they go, that's, I agree with you, Cleveland. I have the same issue. I don't know what to say. So what would you say to somebody? Oh, well, you know, first of all, if I get an update from a lender, something's not looking good, the ratios are off on an insured file or something like that. I take a step back. I say, okay, no problem. I'll look into it. I'll get back to you. And I try to go and find a solution. Maybe it's something, you know, in the liabilities, maybe we can maybe pay down, or maybe there was a conversation about a potential co-signer or something like that. So I try to find a solution first. And even if I can't, 
what I do is I give the customer a call, let them know what the situation is, and we try to come up with a solution on the spot. Like, you know, here's where we are. In order for us to make this work, here are a couple of things that we're going to have to consider. So it's just the communication, whether it's good news or bad news. I found that people are pretty resourceful. They may not share everything upfront with you. It's a kind of like a need to know basis sometimes beyond, you know, knowing your customer, the information that we need to know. But sometimes in terms of their resources, you know, that doesn't always come up in the initial conversation. But if their problem arises, it's almost like you get to work with the customer to come up with a solution if you can't identify it immediately through the numbers in the application. So I just found that to go over a lot better. And even if it's something that the customer can't do, we all know the truth. But at the end of the day, I found that I've had a bit more success because they've had an opportunity to find a solution. Even if it takes them 24 hours to get back to me, they go back and they try to see what they can do. And that's been the biggest aha for me. You know, good news or bad news, let the customer know. Let's work through Let's try to find a solution. Right. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And Speed of communication is really important and people are more resourceful than you realize. But sometimes it's just but through that secondary conversation that all of a sudden, oh, well, actually, my cousin, my uncle agreed or my parents said, oh, OK. But, you know, and so it could have been something as simple as that. But again, if you don't pick up the phone, have the conversation, you'll never know. Right. And when I was a paramedic, too, one of the things that my boss told me is that sometimes, you know, rule number one, sometimes people die. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. Some deals you can't do. You can't take ownership of a situation. You know, maybe there is, but maybe there's no solution here. So good for you, man, for learning that. So I would say there's two skills that when it comes to being a mortgage broker, new mortgage broker, sales and underwriting, which one was harder for you? Underwriting. Underwriting still kind of has me, you know, a little uncomfortable, but it's a work in progress all the time. I know that I'm figuring it out because my business is growing, but it seems to be the area that I just continue to want to get better at. Not that I don't want to get better at sales, but I have an approach when it comes to sales that I'm pretty confident and comfortable in. And it's a consultative approach. I like to educate and allow people to be comfortable with me. I don't want them to feel like they're pressured or rushed into anything or that I'm just, you know, here to make money off of them. I want them to make the decision at the end of the day. I don't want them to have buyer's remorse. So I have a sales approach that works for me. And in fact, <laughs> What's funny is that once I got into mortgages and I started getting educated about mortgages, it's only once I got to mortgages that I realized that I was in sales, which was, right. which was weird. I didn't know why I was in sales until literally like- Even when you had the other business? Even when I had the other business. I didn't right. know I was in sales because to me, I never had that sort of, you know, I guess used car salesman approach, if, if that makes well, sense. Well, you actually, it doesn't really work with stuff we sell anyway. If you're that way in the bait and switch and- but yes, we are absolutely in a sales profession. And I had the same thing when I started. I actually had a very negative opinion towards salespeople. Mm-hmm. And it was only when I shifted from, okay, if I'm serving people, and sometimes it means I can help them, sometimes I can't, then internally I was in alignment and I could not have to be, I wasn't stressed. I was like, right. And then the thing I think about with sales is just communication. The better I get at communicating, the better I understand human you know, behavior, the better I can serve people. And so then I became obsessed with learning communication. And But the circle of the whole thing is around serving. It's not around like you know, taking or, you know, what am I going to get? I think that's the wrong psychology. So you were chatting with this before you came on, but you tripled your business from 2020 to 2021. What do you think has helped you do that? At Pineapple, we have a hub, like an underwriting hub. Yeah. And I give them a lot of credit because it's kind of like a second pair of eyes. Again, I don't know everything and I'm still learning, but, you know, as long as I do my part, you know, make sure I get the right 
information up front based on an assessment or initial conversation. And as long as I do my part as a mortgage agent, I'm able to get that sort of assistance from the hub. And they've kind of acted like a mentor as well. So that's been pretty cool. But I also have to give your podcasts a lot of credit as well, because especially from the mindset perspective, you know, listening to you know, successful agents, rookie agents, you know, people that are just starting, people that are, you know, been in the business a while. It's really allowed me to kind of marry the two and, you know, find a fit and find a groove that works for me. So to be honest with you also too, what I've been utilizing lately is the concept of the customer journey, which has definitely allowed me to organize and see that there's a possibility to operate like that dentist model I was telling you about earlier, because yeah. It's the only way that I would consider it. I, before that, I was saying, okay, I'd be the point guard. But after I saw the customer journey idea, then I was like, oh, no, actually, there is a possibility to go all the way. So somebody listening, if they don't know, how would you define customer journey? I mean, I have my definition, but I'm curious how you defined it as somebody who didn't know what it was. Well, it's just the milestones from lead in all the way to client for life. So, you know, the lead comes in and then, you know, you have that initial conversation. They want to proceed. We get the application. And after that, we get the documents. So all these stages, all the way through to approval, you know, funding, all the way through to, like I said, client for life, where you're nurturing the customer, asking for referrals and stuff like that. I still don't have it all ironed out, but the fact that I have the framework and it's a constant work in progress it just allows me to feel like I have a sense of control. You know, it's changed the way I kind of organize my tasks and how I remind myself and it's getting better, um, right, but it yeah. allows me to organize my business. Imagine if you opened a burger stand, but you had no recipes because you're just like, Hey, I'm an artist. I don't need a recipe. Your customer journey is like your recipe so that the burgers come out the same every time and then customers can rely on you and they're going to come back again. If they tell their friends to come, it's not going to be like, well, I didn't get that on my burger. How come I, you know, and too many mortgage brokers run their businesses like that. And then you can't bring anybody in to help you because it's whatever you feel like on any given day. It's like, no, no, I'm an artist. Don't ask me to like, but realizing that what you need to have is a system and then now you can get help and support. So that's really good. So you joined our 10 loans a month Academy in January and Denise is your coach. Tell me what's been kind of their biggest takeaway or what have you learned from working with Denise? Well, just that, just her systematic approach to everything. And it's just the cut to the chase stuff that she has. Her approach is, you know, you kind of get what you get. And, you know, I was able to jump onto her database as a potential client and to see kind of how she handles her customers, how her customers go through her journey in kind of a mock format. And I've been able to take a lot of notes from that to see, oh, okay, this is how you do it right. I love the consistency of her branding and stuff like that. So she's definitely been able to show us how, if you want to set up your business as a true business, there's certain things you have to have in place so that it feels like it's a business. It doesn't feel like you're, you know, you're just going from one deal to the next. So one of the things that I don't do that she brought to my attention was, you know, just kind of that initial call being the gatekeeper and understanding, hey, you're not going to say yes to everything. You know, if you're not a good fit for us and we don't think we can give you the level of service that, you know, we set our standards at, then it's probably best that, you know, you, know, you find another agent and I think she helps with that process as well but it's kind of knowing who your customer is and then allowing them to go through your process from um, lead into you know a happy customer at the end right yeah and learning how to say no that's a hard thing especially if you're new that's it's like, but you actually grow more by saying no because then you have time and energy for the clients that you really can serve I call it like hitting a golf ball when you hit down on a ball to go up if you don't know about golf you go well if I gotta hit the ball up I gotta swing up on the ball but it never works 
And it's the same thing with business. The more narrow your focus, the bigger your business can be. It's when you try to be everything to everybody, but you just get lost in the noise. So that's really good. And Denise is awesome. Love Denise. Okay, so I have some rapid fire questions. These you can answer with shorter answers if you like. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I'm a foodie, but I also have a junk food little, like I'm not big on like pastries, but I like, you know, salt and vinegar chips and I'm all of that at the bottle type of guy. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. Have you seen there's a, there's a clip of Homer drinking mayonnaise and beer mixed together? <laughs> no. It's so funny. It's like, homie, if, if you don't start paying attention, these kids are going to grow up. And, and she's basically saying that he's, he's going to miss out. And he's like, oh, that's a problem for future Homer. Right. Like not here today. And then he pours, he pours beer and his mayo together, drinks it and then falls over. And it's kind of like, this is what a lot of us do. We don't pay attention to the. <laughs> okay. What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? I love The Matrix. I find that I reference it a lot because it's just that one scene at the end where he just says no. And, you know, he just completely has control of that point, you know. And so that movie, I just think everyone should see once. There's a lot of... They were going to put Will Smith in that movie? Will Smith was going to do that movie, hey, but he turned it down. He was going to be Neil? Yeah. He's like, I don't want to do another sci-fi movie. I've done so many of these. So he said no. I kind of think it feels like it works with... You know, Keanu Reeves is sort of kind of stilted, doesn't talk a lot. Yeah, yeah, I feel like Will Smith would have been too cool. He'd have been like, yeah, I don't don't know. I agree. I think I think Keanu did a great job. And I can't see anybody else in that role. I can't either. Like, and I love Will Smith. And and there's, you know, but there's certain movies that just seem like he would have been a better fit. Anyway, I digress. Uh, What's three software (laughs) programs you can't run your business without? Well, I use Salesforce or My Pineapple, Gmail for sure, you know, integration. But I just learned about this software called uh, Zapier. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I swear, like, I don't know how much time we have, but I have a pretty cool story about it, my experience with it and why I'm addicted to it now. I used to use If This Then That, which is more personal kind of automation. And this seems to be like the business version of that. But what I experienced over the weekend through my experimentation with it was pretty cool. Yeah, Zapier, Zapier, I don't know, whatever, they changed tomato, tomato. (laughs) It's basically a universal connector between programs so that if something happens in one program, do this in the other program. And we have literally hundreds of the programs, like hundreds of Zaps for the different businesses that I'm involved in. And I agree with you. It's pretty awesome. It essentially takes the role of like a person or it can of like or data entry or assistant. So what did you set up? Well, I can't wait to dive into it more. I only went into it on the weekend. And what I was doing was I have leads that go into my CRM kind of automatically, right? Now, whenever I have a lead, if I call them, I don't get them, I send them a text. But before I send them a text, I got to put in their name, put in their number, put in their email. Sometimes you make a mistake, you know, uppercase, lowercase, whatever. But I do that because I want them in my phone. So when I call them or they call me, I know who's calling. So I went in, I found Zapier and I realized that they had this sort of connection between my CRM and that I can connect to my Google contacts. I was like, okay, this is cool. So I, I said, okay, let's try it out. Set it up on Saturday, family day weekend. On Tuesday, I started to make some calls to new leads that came in. I went to dial the first person and their name showed up and I was like, oh shoot, maybe I called this person already. Cause most often if they're new, I'm entering that information. You haven't, it, but it was already there. It was already there. I was like, what the hell? So then I was like, okay, whatever. I didn't see any logs. So I said, I did what I usually do. And then I went to the next call and then it happened again. Seriously, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, maybe I'm ahead of myself. Maybe I did it on the weekend. I just don't realize. Yeah, did you black out or something? You have a blackout yeah. day where you don't remember it. But when it happened the third time, I had to stop because I was like freaked out. Like something's wrong with me. <laughs> and then I really, it dawned on me. I was like, oh, it's that thing I did on Zapier. It's actually doing it. Like it's all done. I was just like, right. so that was the aha for me because I'm looking at it as, I do that about for two or three leads a day. And even if it's about a half an hour a month, because it only takes a couple minutes, but if it's half an hour a month, that's like 25 hours a year. 
And if I multiply that, like the multiplier effect, that's a lot of time that I can spend doing something else. And if I can compound that on other areas I don't even know yet. Oh yeah, I'm it has a ton of capability. Like whoever came up with their genius, it's, it basically makes you feel like a programmer. It's like, ooh, I'm programming. Not really. It's like, not really. but when I first used it, it was several years ago, I was like, I'm now a programmer, you know, because yeah. you would have needed a programmer to do some of that stuff. But also you would also need like the stuff that you could have had to assistant that you don't have to, right? I used to have a virtual assistant in the Philippines that used to update my database for me and she would log in, she'd get the emails, she'd move them where they needed to go. And I paid her four bucks an hour us yeah. and she would do this. And then I got Zapier and I was like, done okay. click. Yeah. Fortunately, like the thing that I was paying you to do to these updates was all done. There's no retyping errors that could happen. Yeah. Right? Nope. Nope. You're right. Because you, as long as you put it in once correctly, it'll follow that whole thing. Okay. So that's really cool, man. So that's fine. Shorter answers, unless it's really interesting, then we can go longer. Um, <laughs> this is just suggestion. So what's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker? It was very short. You can't fit a, a round peg into a square hole or a square peg into a round hole type of thing. That means don't try to force a deal that's not going to work. So I get right. to this point where I, I'm looking at it. I know you want to buy a house for 800000 but you qualify for a house for six fifty. Like you've got to bring more down payment or you got to get a co-sign. You know what I mean? So when there's a gap between the dream and the reality, sometimes that was one piece of advice that I got in the beginning that I applied to this day. I try not to push it. And the other one was kind of like, if you lose a deal, just go out and get five more. And when I heard first that, I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But all it is, is just don't give up. You lose a deal, right. you lose a file, just keep on going. The thing about getting in the wrong mental headspace is that you lose that file. If you get so emotionally attached to that outcome, that it'll mess up the next two or three or four more leads because you're carrying that energy with you. You may not realize it. And I don't mean, it's sort of like you're going to show up a little bit distrusting, a little bit less positive, less upbeat. And you want to show up with energy. You want to show up positive. And so you kind of have to let that stuff slide off you and just... Next, shake it off. It sucks. They did studies once on the most successful insurance agents back when they used to sell, you know, life insurance door to door. And the number one quality that they found predicted success was optimism. These people that could literally go from rejection to rejection and not lose any enthusiasm. It's like, boom, knocked out. No, 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 no. And they just keep going like, look at me. I'm so happy next door, next door. And then they're like, boom. And it's the same thing in the mortgage right. space, which is why we always talk about mindset being so important, right? You got to work on that right. daily because you show up with a bad mindset, it'll cost you for the next week. That oh, yeah. one deal didn't cost you one deal. It cost you five deals. Now you're like, crap, that sucks. So good on you for that, man. And Dion says this all the time. When I say no to one bad client, it gives me room for two good ones. Yeah. So psychologically, he's not giving up anything. He's actually gaining something. Yeah. And it, it changes your mental state. So that's really cool. If you're starting over again today, is there anything you do different? Well, you know, I started pretty hungry. You know, I'm a family guy, right? I have three kids and they drive me to get out there and bring the bacon home, right? <laughs> so I'm doing whatever I'm supposed to be doing. But if I can start over with what I know today, yes. What I would do is I would start with a customer journey day one. Like try right. to build it out sooner than later. Now it's hard when you don't know the process, right? Like for example, if you're going into another business, go in there with the idea that you're going to have a customer journey and start trying to map it out sooner rather than later. Cause again, I just started like a couple months ago. So. Right. Um, it's like, get that recipe built. How are you going to make those burgers? And then it's like consistency. Okay. So we were chatting before and I was asking you about your biggest challenge. So what right now would you say is your biggest challenge that you're facing in your business? I guess right now for me, it's keeping up. I want to deliver a certain level of quality in my business and consistency. And I'm finding that I'm just, I think I heard you say it. I'm like the one man band. Yeah. I think about the guy that he's playing. Ding, ding, ding. He's got like the whole thing, the cymbals and the harmonica and the guitar. Everything. So I feel like it's just, it's becoming too much for me, for myself. So I need 
help. Okay, so and let me ask you a question on that. So yeah, there comes a point where you'll hit a ceiling and it'll be because the paperwork you have to track down for each file and each file takes so much time. So you don't have an assistant right now, but like, so if you look at the last three months, what are you averaging mortgages close per month? Well, I set a goal and I'm trending. So I was five a month and I'm at 11. 11. But not a month, like for the year. So I was trying so to go- say almost five and a half a month. So the magic number that I have found for most people, unless you're either A, really dialed in on your processes, which you're starting to get dialed in, or B, have like repeat clients that you already have. Like if you have a repeat client, you copy the old file, update it. You know, they already trust you. Like just go help me out. It's going to take less time. You can do more than that. But for somebody who's building in new clients, usually five mortgages a month is going to start to feel like, you know, red line. And the best way to get to 10 is actually to get help. And you are a perfect example of experiencing that. You're probably, are you able to do as much of the prospecting or the other activities that you want to do right now? Yeah, no, like, and I'm trying to get back to it. Like, fortunately, a lot of the business has been referred. I haven't really done any prospecting for a bit because I just, I've been having a hard time trying to keep up. And I've heard people doing a lot more than me by themselves, which I'm really impressed with. But for me, it yes. depends on their lead source. It depends on their loan process. And like, you can't compare it one to one. And it depends on the type of clients you're dealing with. Some okay. clients are going to be more time than others, right? So right. Uh, it's why it's no good to compare to someone else. Okay. Like what you want to compare with is how you were doing six months ago. Yeah, so I, I compete against myself, right? And compare against myself. But I'm happy with the progress I am making. But definitely, that is the challenge. It's like, okay, I want to maintain a certain level of quality. I want to be able to pick up the phone when, as soon as I can, if I can. Obviously, I want to call back as soon as possible. But, you know, the communication, the clients that I've had, I want to be able to keep them because I feel like there's a hole over there and they're falling through. Yeah. I want them to be taken care of because, of, you know, from what I understand, that is the database and that is my future business. And I don't want to lose that to someone else when I put in so much work and it's kind of essentially low hanging fruit because I've built that trust and all that with them. But when they kind of fall off after they get keys, you know, you know, they, yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this. If you had two hours a day, so like, let's say what you have right now, if you had two hours a day that I put in your calendar, do you think you could find one extra mortgage a month? If you had two extra hours? Yes. And hours sure. a week. Easy. Sure. Easy. Yeah. You, you find more. I know you would. Yeah. So what I recommend then the best thing, there's always the fear of hiring somebody, but so there's a couple steps. Step one is, is there somebody you could share somebody with? That's like the easy step that's in your office or that has a similar loan process to you that you could be like, Hey, can I use your person for a certain number of times, you know, for a couple hours a day or for certain tasks? Is that a possibility? Uh, yes, I had a conversation with someone about that. They have somebody that they use and they offered them to me. They were doing more of the underwriting piece as opposed to like the client care piece. The client care piece would be new to them. And mm -hmm. even when it comes to that, I'm like, okay, well, how much do I pay? What's fair? You know, you know, so I got to figure that out. But yes, I have somebody that I could approach as long as the price is right, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, underwritings should be more. So like if somebody's taking the file to deal with the lenders, that should be more per file than a task based, you know, if they're just doing client care stuff, but like at your underwriting hub, do they charge you a percentage or a fee per file? A fee, a fee per file. So that's your baseline. It's like, okay, so if you're going to do the same thing for me as them, like, would it be better to use this person in the underwriting hub? I don't know. That could be a thought. Right. Yeah. And then could you expand some of their activities to give you a little bit more bandwidth, but it could be that. So step one is always, can I share someone? If you can't do that, then the step two is, Maybe hire somebody, a client care person part-time. So like we're talking three hours a day, three to four hours a day, five days a week. Make sure you hire them every day so that they're always available to you so that every day they can do your compliance, do your, like all the stuff that you need. And you get that two to three hours every day of like, 
you know, they could even catch your calls if you wanted at that time, if they have that capability, right? If they're three days a week, the two days you're going to do their work for them. And then you're going to be, why am I getting them to do this? That's what's going to go on in your head. It's because it's not actually going to save you time. So part-time, and if you hire somebody at 20 bucks an hour, you know, three hours a day, that's like what, 60 bucks a day. That's not much. I think they could put in a lot of productivity in that time frame if they did it Monday to Friday for sure. Yeah, Monday to Friday, 60 bucks a day. And then again, you have to go in with the psyche or the mindset that I'm going to get two hours a day back once I get this person trained. And there's people up there that would love to work three or four hours a day. They drop their kids off at school or whatever. And then they go, oh, great, I can work for three, four hours. So I would consider that. And it's not as scary as you think. And keep in mind, whatever their salary is, if it's 20 grand a year or something, if it was that high, you're not writing a check for 20 grand. You're writing a check every two weeks. And if it didn't work out for some reason, if it is what it is, like, it's always funny to me when I've had assistants work for me and they go to the bank to get a mortgage and I sign that and the bank takes it like it's gold. But if push comes to shove, the assistant's gone before me. Like their job is not more secure than mine, but the lender will be like, oh, that's gold. And yet if everything comes down to the, you know, I will do the work myself if I had to. So, but in any case, I would encourage you to think about that. And the number one thing you've already done this, or I would have said this, I wouldn't do any of this unless you have your customer journey done. Because your customer journey becomes how you're going to train them. So now you've yes. got everything mapped out. It's like, okay, here's my you know 40 tasks. I'm going to train you on these three. And then I'm going to train you on three more. And then two more. And slowly get more and more of that stuff off your plate. It's kind of like if you're the chef, they're the sous chef. They're helping you out. And now all of a sudden you're like, okay, I've got my time back. There will be a process. It'll take you a quarter or two to get dialed, but it's worth doing for sure. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah. The outcome that I have in my mind, if I can be there today, I'll do the work for it to get there so i'm right. looking forward to it. awesome where can people find you online if they're looking for you uh, well uh, you can find me on instagram at cleave.ca my website is up the same cleave.ca or you can check me out on facebook at cleveland mortgages or on linkedin at cleveland harris mortgages right awesome cleveland congrats matt on your success and i'm sure we'll be chatting with you again soon awesome thanks scott All right. Thanks again for having to listen to this episode with Cleveland. And it's always amazing to see what somebody can do when they get focused, when they get their recipe for their mortgage business dialed in. And now how he's continuing to scale and grow. Just love his enthusiasm and just what he's been doing. If you're listening to this and you're like, hey, Scott, like I'm new. I want to make my business go better. I can tell you the program that we've developed for new people now, there's nothing like it in the industry. Go to rookie2rockstar.ca. There's a free webinar you can go through there. We walk you through the specific ways we help new agents scale their businesses faster. Go check out rookie2rockstar.ca. And thanks again for checking out this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.